Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to our weekly Women Today podcast. On the programme this week, we spoke to the Cruise Bereavement Group about a special memorial for those who've lost children. We had a visit from a real-life modern-day monk, and it was yet another week of unexpected tributes in the entertainment industry, as we said goodbye to the diminutive pop icon Prince and much-loved comedian and actress Victoria Wood. But first, there were some harsh words in the studio on Monday as one British father announced he employs a somewhat shocking parenting tool. I let my eight-year-old drop F-bombs and so should every parent. Uh, Not my exact thoughts, some of you may be relieved to hear, especially as I have my mother-in-law in in the studio with me. Uh, But one father has taken to social media to say sometimes the best way to let your child know you care is by letting them say filthy, filthy words. And he goes on to explain that when his daughter had to change schools, it really, really upset her. And the best way he could come up with to help her cope was to let her say the F word about it. She did and uh, started smiling immediately, apparently. And so this dad believes that there is a time and a place for it, even if your child is only eight. And he says, used in the right circumstances, it is, in his words, an effective parenting tool. But what do you think? Is it okay to let your children swear in front of you? Occasionally? All the time? Not at all? Uh, Text us, 166167. You can email studio at manxradio.com or go to Facebook or Twitter. Joe, do you let your kids swear in front of you? Oh, she's gone. She's so offended. She's disappeared. Uh, Lindsay, well, what? I am back. Oh, I am back. Sorry, I lost you on the connection for just a second there, and uh, I, I am back again with you now. Lost it. <laughs> you know yeah. what? It was on the top of my, tip of my tongue, Lindsay. <laughs> so, what do you make of this, then, like, Joe? Do you know what? I will. Oh, I'm on such different views of it because the, when the kids were younger, I would have been so offended if either of them had said anything and I think that's because I was very 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 good and very well behaved myself and I didn't tend to swear at all in front of the children and made sure no one else did there are some shocked looks here Joe I bet there are do you know as the kids have got older I've got a lot kind of less worried about it because I think there's bigger things to worry about I know my kids are well mannered I know they're polite when they're out and about somebody's going to text me and tell me different but when they're at school um, they also are pretty well behaved Um, however I do kind of relax slightly if they do let the odd word out and say excuse me and then like sorry sorry or something but you know they don't go around saying the most vicious words but I do tend to be a bit more relaxed with it now that they're of an age look I see what they write on social media these teenagers and it is disgusting the language that some of them use but until I see my kids using it you know I, I just I suppose I'm just a bit more relaxed with it is what I'm trying to say. There's bigger things to worry about, I think, than the odd swear word that comes out of their mouths. Uh, Lindsay, you have uh, three grown-up children now. Would you have been okay with them swearing in front of you? Uh, I certainly wasn't when they were younger. No, um, they do occasionally swear in front of me now, but more often than not, I get an apology afterwards. Now, whether that's because I've put the fear of God into them or (laughs) whether they genuinely feel bad that they've sworn in front of me I'm not sure but I don't know I think it's a respect thing as well Um, I don't know I'm still not happy with a lot of the language that comes out of young children these days but it seems to be an accepted culture at the moment um jenny your little boy is only two i'm assuming he doesn't swear that much uh but would you be okay with it as he gets older um i would i would try and not let him swear it's just 
but personally I, I'm not really into swearing and I, I do agree with Lindsay there I think um, there's a lot of swearing included in TV programmes it's everywhere there's swearing everywhere and so no wonder the kids are picking up but I'd really try to stop him swearing if I could um, the thing that kind of struck me in this story about the dad trying to stop um, trying to let his daughter say um you know swear words and things to express herself I think is wrong because I think you could teach her a different way of expressing herself why can't you do it through poetry or so you know something art artistic you know I think there are other ways of dealing with it some people might say though that they believe that swearing is a form of artistic expression and yeah, um, uh, Myra you're looking aghast at me there I'm taking it that you wouldn't be particularly impressed if you saw a, a young child swearing I think that uh the problem with it is that they are not necessarily old enough to know when and where it's acceptable. So I also agree that it's probably better to lead them into better ways of expressing themselves rather than bottling up. Katie? It's certainly about context. Um, I, I know, I mean, I, I admit I swear probably more than I should and I have to be careful around my friends kids to make sure that I don't say things inappropriately uh, when I do I apologize but often the the parents say well they probably know more than you do already anyway so don't worry about it and that's the point isn't it the language um, that they know they're generally picking up from places where you you can't control it and it does go on I of course would never swear in front of my <laughs> children ever um, I should say though that uh, my husband and I were actually we were known as the sweary twins before we had children and it is remarkable I think that we do control it. I mean people often say to me how do you not swear in front of them but then I think well I generally hopefully try not to swear on the radio either so it's uh, the same sort of discipline but um I don't know. It's interesting. Have you seen Gogglebox? I always think it's really interesting when you see the the older children um, on that programme who are using profanities all the time in front of their parents. And again, they are a little bit older, but I just wonder at what point it does become OK. Um, talking to Stu just be before this programme, he was saying, you know, once they hit about 18, yeah, then it's all right. Yeah, I can kind of understand that because, you know, that they're in control of their own mind. And a lot of the children, I suppose, who are saying these swear words at the moment may not completely understand what they're saying. Um, so I think maybe when they're a bit older that, you know, that they have control over what they're saying. And, you know, you can't stop them really at that age, I don't think. And when they go out with their friends, they're probably going to swear and things. So you can't you can't stop it. Exactly. Okay, uh, some of your thoughts. Brian says, most definitely not. You asked the question if using the F word was okay. No way. As your lady in the studio just said, it's all about respect. Children should not have consent to use such language. So disagreeing with you there, Joe. Uh, do you know, I understand the uh, actual idea of uh, respect around it totally. One of the things that I have realised, though, is that Molly opens up a lot more and talks to me if we can talk on a similar level. And I'm not saying that she will drop the odd F-bomb in there, not those types of words. But when I'm not actually scrutinising her over every word that she's saying, she does tend to open up more. But talking about daughters, Beth Espy, did I just hear that you don't tend to swear in front of your children? Is that what you said? Well, you know, yeah, okay. I agree you don't drop the F-bomb, obviously, in front of them. However, wasn't it the other day you were driving to my house and somebody was in the road with their dog and you were in a rush and you were coming to my house in the car and you said, what did you, oh, can I say it on the radio? No, I can't. But you turned around and said, get out the way, you <clears throat> man. And did you have a little girl in the back of your car that may have just repeated every single word that you just said? Without the <clears throat> in the way. It Am wasn't I right? It wasn't the worst <clears throat> it could have been. 
in. But no, yeah. but I think what that shows, though, do we? What that shows is that it's very unusual. And she was so surprised that she just wanted to try that word out for herself. Thank you for dropping me in it there. Really appreciate it. Uh, that was the stress of the moment. That's different than actually teaching your children to say them. Exactly. To get rid of their oh, mother-in-law, yes. be quiet. Oh, yes. I thought I was going to be in trouble then. Flipping heck. Uh, now, Joe is uh, broadcasting from Peel again for us today. And uh, as has become a bit of a, a thing this week, you have a guest on the sofa with you, Joe. I have indeed. I just pulled these people up off the streets to come and join me because I'm a little bit lonely <laughs> at the moment, you know, I'm sure. No, I have got Kimberly here and uh, Kimberly's in Peel and she's going to tell us a little bit in a minute why she's in Peel. But just tell everybody what it is that you do, Kimberly. In the day, um, I'm a- I actually work as an events coordinator, but at the weekends and in my free time, I work as a makeup artist. What exactly does that involve? It can involve anything from um, a bit of occasion makeup, you know, a bit of lipstick, a bit of mascara, all the way to um, this weekend I'm actually going to do a slit throat that pumps blood. So, uh, No, hang on a minute. You're not going to perform it. You're going to make it oh, up, right? Yeah. yeah, just to clarify, that's with makeup, yeah. <laughs> I'm just popping out to do slit throat, that, as you do. Uh, so what is it that you love about your job? I, I just love um, being able to be creative. I've always been very arty, love painting, love drawing, and I love that I'm now able to channel that through makeup. And is it something that you make up, excuse the pun, as you go along, or actually are you given things to do? Like, do people contact you and say, look, we've got this film going on, can you come and help out, and this is what we need to do? Or do you advise them on what they should be doing too? It can be a mixture of both. Sometimes people can be quite specific what they want. So, for instance, this thing I'm doing at the weekend the brief was you need to make somebody have a slit throat and it needs to pump blood obviously fake blood and so I have to do a bit of research and see how that's going to happen how I'm going to make it happen how I'm going to make it look real so there's quite a lot of work involved sometimes um, they won't really know what they want me to do they'll say they'll set the scene for me and I will have to come up with some ideas of what will look good how people will look good and so therefore you can use your creative side. Yeah. How did you train in this? I didn't actually train as it happens. Um, like I mentioned, I've, I've always been quite arty. And I've just, I found out that perhaps I can make this, make my art makeup. So I've just done a lot of studying myself. I, I, you know, bought books. The first book I ever bought was Ray Morris. She's an Australian makeup artist. And it was the ultimate makeup guide. And it just gives, gave me all the basics, everything I needed to know. And I just practiced on myself an awful lot, practiced on friends. And as time went on, I've, I've just built up my skills. And I, I, I went to one course in London with a comp- with a, a makeup brand called Illamasco. And I learned makeup through the ages, through, from the 20s through to the 90s. And I've just taken those skills with me. So when you were younger, come on, were you playing with your mum's makeup bag? Of course. <laughs> she had this amazing Rimmel set, actually, that was properly from the 80s, frosted blue eyeshadow, bright pink lipstick. And I remember wearing that to school. I even remember putting the lipstick on my eyes to try and try out new skills, but I don't think anyone liked it but me. <laughs> so you're a big fan of makeup, but you don't really tend to wear much yourself. No, my my um, my secret is actually if you want to look like you're wearing a lot of makeup, put lipstick on. <laughs> ah, I like that. I should have done that today. I now know what to do tomorrow. Yeah, I sometimes I'll, I won't really wear much on my face, but if I put lipstick on, it looks like you're you're a bit more dressed up than you are. Now we're going to get you into the studio as a guest for the whole show at some point very soon, so you can actually do the makeup for the three of us. And uh, I've always been a bit terrified by makeup artists because I always feel as if they're going to completely overdo you. But you tend to do more of a natural look, don't you? Yeah, I mean, at the moment there's a, there's a lot of trends on. It, that are led by Instagram and what you don't realize about Instagram that it's all quite heavily filtered heavily edited and you know when you're trying to achieve that look in your on your everyday 
mirror you it's just you have to layer on so much for it to look as perfect as it does in the pictures and I think it puts a lot of pressure on people to be quite honest well I think you're going to have to need an awful lot of time to work on us uh, <clears throat> anyway um you're here in Peel what are you up to the weekend so this weekend apart from slitting someone's throat <laughs> of course um this weekend I'm working on a short film uh, it's a local director and it's an ad modern adaptation of a fairy tale and um, so it's going to be quite interesting it's got a twist in it as well hence the I bet you can't remember a fairy tale where someone gets their throat slit so obviously it's it's an a new version of it. You happen to be quite secretive about it, aren't you? Yeah, it all will be revealed within time, but at the moment, yeah, we'll keep it under my hat. So. so it's not just for women that you do makeup on as well, is it? Sometimes you do get the odd request for a man. I do. I've done all sorts for men, actually. I've done men in a burlesque show, so I, I don't know if you'd call that boylesque. Um, I've done a Grinch at Christmas. I've, In fact, I even had a gentleman who liked to dress up as a lady on the weekends ask for a makeup lesson, which is good fun. Now, a real calm has descended over the studio today as we have the best-selling author of the book, Chit Happens, Narain Ashaya with us. Hello again, Narain. Hello. Uh, it's very lovely to have you with us. Uh, so to start with then, how easy is it to find peace in this crazy, busy world? The finding of it is easy. You know, it, it's super easy. The difficulty with it is nobody believes that it is easy. <laughs> <laughs> and so it requires a little bit of willingness to give it a shot and see what happens. But ultimately, it's it's beyond simple. But then, you see, I've done bits of mindfulness and meditation and things before. And the one thing I would always say is it, the person who's usually instructing will say, it's very easy, just empty mind, you know, thoughts are like clouds that pass through. I, I cannot still my mind for anything. And is it just a matter of practice then? Yeah. And it's not even necessary to still your mind. And that's one of the biggest misconceptions. You know, the reason why people don't experience more peace or even give it a try is because there's all these misunderstandings and, and half truths about the process and and one of those is that you have to still your mind and you don't it's quite interesting so and we were talking before about um the idea of being free in in today's world yeah. what would you say are some of the limitations that are on us um it's all it's all a case of mistaken identity really i mean most people if you ask them what causes them stress they'll say my next door neighbor causes me stress because he plays loud music or the crisis wherever causes me stress or money causes me stress. And those things can are challenges for sure, but the stress, very few people can see it on their own, that the stress is caused by our relationship to those things, not those things. You know, the modern world is no more stressful really than at any other time. Um, but what causes you stress is not the things, it's your relationship with those things. So it's about response, exactly. probably. Yeah. yeah, the ability to respond differently. And also... It's not we look on the outside to the things I just talked about that, that we think causes stress. It's also that we don't see that it's our thinking mind's response to those things because the thinkingness that goes on in the mind is somehow seen as being me. I am that collection of thoughts. And actually, you're not that collection of thoughts. And, and so the value of things like meditation is to begin to change your relationships, your relationship to the thoughts that run through the mind. You know, not as a concept or as a belief, but as a living experience that no matter what thought arises in the, in the mind, it need not change your subjective experience of peacefulness. Mm. You know, and that's not, I don't mean that as some kind of weird Eastern concept. I mean, it's the, it's the moment by moment choice that every human being is presented with and almost no one knows they have the ability to make. 
Now you say it's not, you know, sort of some peculiar Eastern concept or anything. Would you say that what you teach has any sort of basis in religion, or is it it's, it's sort of a spiritual thing? It's a it's a spiritual thing. I mean, it's a it's a psychological thing. It's a spiritual thing. No matter what approach you take, it's the same thing. You know, I'm, I don't really want to brand. It's very spiritual because it's a, an intimate journey of self-discovery, which to me is what true spirituality is. But it's also psycho- psychological because it's a, it's, it presents you with the ability to transcend anything that's happened in your life that causes you pain. You know, you, there's nothing that you can't transcend that's happened. You just need to be able to discover something more appealing. And those, and those things that we hold on to from the past or those fears about the future, they dissolve into, into something much more beautiful. Now, you mentioned pain there. Is it, it? I mean, that can be a physical thing as well, obviously not just an emotional thing. And would you say that um, meditation has physical benefits as well? Oh, absolutely. Many physical benefits. Again, it's your relationship with physical pain. Your relationship to the pain can change. And I know that from my own experience can change radically. Yeah. Do you mind sharing your experience? Yeah. I mean, I have a spinal condition that for many, many years caused me pretty constant back pain. And it's not that the physical sensations have gone away, but my relationship to them have changed to to such an extent that it no longer causes me any debilitation whatsoever. Wow, that's quite fantastic. Um, so I'm I'm curious to know then, because obviously you have experienced great benefits from this. How often do you meditate? How long do you spend meditating yourself? Uh, it varies. I mean, my daughter is two and a half years old and she's amazing. So less now than before. But every day, every day I meditate. Some time in the morning, some time in the evening. And do your family practice it as well? Everybody, yeah. Is that because they want to or is that sort of a, come on now, family, we're going to sit down and we're going to do this? No, it's it's because they they want to, you know, they want to. I mean, my mom learned because she saw such amazing changes in me that she she decided she wanted to learn. Like whatever I was doing was doing something beneficial. Mm -hmm. Um, Can I ask what brought you to this? How how did you come to, to start doing it? I mean, I, myself, like, I mean, I can ask you this question. When you were young, when you were really little, did you feel like there was something you were here to do? Mm-hmm. Did you feel like there was some kind of unbounded purpose to being here? Yes. Yeah. I suppose so. Yeah. 90% of people I've asked that to would say the same thing. You? Yeah. And then, and so for me, that was the case. I didn't know what it was, but I knew there was some amazing somethingness to being alive. And then when I didn't start to, to come, when I couldn't find it, then I started to, like a lot of people, shut down to the possibility. It didn't seem like the dream was real. And so by the time I was much later in life, I was hiding from that, just doing as many drugs and drinking as I possibly could so that I wouldn't have to think about it. But then when I was in my mid-20s, I woke up one day, literally just woke up, and it was like an alarm clock had gone off. It's like, I don't know what this is, but I have to find it. And so it's not about one particular path or one particular practice, but it's about honoring the part of you that knows that no matter what you do to express yourself in your life and all of it's amazing no matter what you do for a living what you're really here to do is to discover what you are and who you are who you really are beyond you as an individual timeline beyond you as a career beyond you as in there's something greater that you are and you're here to discover that and so meditation is a way for you to go beyond what you're not and discover what you are can I just ask whether any of your techniques kind of help people with phobias and fears? Um, you know, because I've got a fear of heights. I've got, I've got, I'm a pretty scared sort of person. But do you find that some of the techniques you use kind of assist people getting over these fears? Yeah, I mean, again, I had that experience too. I had a yeah. massive phobia of spiders. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> I don't know where it even came from. Where does something like that come from? I, I, mean, no I don't idea. know, but I just, I had it. 
And then I didn't notice anything had happened until one day I just caught one and put it outside. And after I'd put the spider outside, I was like, holy cow, what's, how did that just happen? <laughs> I couldn't even be in the room with a spider before that. And I've seen that with a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. So have you noticed over the years since you've been doing this, has there been a change? Are there more and more people? It feels to me like more and more people are becoming interested in this. Yeah, for sure. That's that's the case. I mean, in a lot of different ways, you know, things things like mindfulness, things like meditation and yoga are becoming much more pro- popular. And maybe it's because the perception of the modern world being more stressful is like that unconscious or conscious questioning, there has to be something more is coming up for people. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be talking about this at an event this evening, aren't you? Can you tell us a bit about what's going to be happening tonight? Yeah, I don't know, really. There's going to be, <laughs> I, don't, I find it hard to plan anything, but there's a lot of people coming to the, the Centenary. Peel Centenary Centre, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the doors open at 7, and we're going to start around 7.30, and, and it'll be dictated by who shows up, really. But I'm going to be talking about more in depth about the ramifications of this and, and, and why you might want to take seriously the options and the and the the possibilities that your life is presenting to you. Is it going to be sort of like an interactive thing? Can people ask you questions? Or? Yeah, I certainly hope so. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, so just to remind you the details of that, so it's at 7.30 this evening, doors open at 7, and it's at the Centenary Centre, and I believe it's free. It is free. Which is amazing. Why do you like these things to be free? So that people can come. <laughs> <laughs> There's no excuse, ladies and gentlemen. It's a free event and it could change your life, basically, couldn't it? <laughs> I, I, don't, I hope so. You know, if there's one person in that audience who hasn't heard and is lit up to the possibility that they could experience life in a different way, then it's worthwhile coming here for that. Lovely. And uh, where can people find out more about your work itself? Um, I have a website for the book. Which yeah. is, do you have that? Uh, it's is, is it not just NarenaShire.com? That's is it. it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you can go yeah. there and you, presumably you'll have the book with you this evening as well. Yeah, you? the book will be there and there's links on that website to other things like the meditation that I do and some other things. There's some video and articles and blah, blah. Excellent. Well, I'm already feeling a lot less stressed. So, you know, <laughs> it's a nice energy in the studio today, I think, isn't it? We really would like to uh, try and bring our legislation on the Isle of Man um, to be in line with the 1967 Abortion Act that is uh, relevant for those that are in England, Scotland and Wales because um, at the moment the current legislation doesn't meet the needs of Ireland women, we have um, a lot of women having to travel in order to have what is um, a simple uh, medical procedure um, that is accessible in other countries. And there is a general feeling, because there was a, a meeting not that long ago, which was organised by the Positive Action Group, and we actually had Mara Clark uh, on Women Today talking about it from, from her point of view as an organisation that supports women uh, who go from the Isle of Man for terminations in the UK. And the, the general feeling, am I right, at that meeting was that really the Isle of Man's laws are outdated. They, they're outdated and they, and they don't meet our needs as a population. Um, What's really um, worrying is that it essentially divides people into those that have the uh, ability to choose in terms of the finances and the time uh, and those that don't. Um, And I think this is all about choice. This is all about being a people being able to make the choice that's right for them. I'm sure many of us will have seen photographs of abortion clinics in the UK, further afield, where you have campaigners camped outside, shouting obscenities at people going in. I mean, surely that's not a situation we want to see over here. No, it's it's always difficult on a small island when, uh, you know, trying to keep your own business to yourself. And it's not something that anybody should have to share with anybody else. Uh, in terms of the 
uh, practicalities of whether or not abortions are carried out on island or off island but funded um, that's something that uh, we really need to look at the practicalities of that um, but the fact is it should be available in some shape or form one of the things that I think is really um, saddening is that women uh, generally would prefer to have an abortion at an earlier stage in pregnancy so perhaps prior to eight weeks or prior to 12 weeks um, but because of the situation we have at the moment they are having to travel later in their pregnancies and have a termination at a later point than they would maybe want to um, because of the the fact that they've got to save up they've got to uh, book travel arrangements they've got to book childcare, they've got to get time off work um, and so I think that um, it might be that if they're able to provide the um, abortion tablets that are uh, suitable for prior to nine weeks on island, that might make things uh, a lot easier for many women. And it would also reduce the number of people who are having to buy medication online, um, some of which comes from reputable sources and some of which does not. And that's the worry, isn't it? Because there are going to be women out there who feel completely desperate they found themselves in this situation and they don't quite know where to turn and and when you're in that sort of situation you reach for measures which could potentially be really really dangerous absolutely the fact is at the moment on the isle of man we do not have safe and legal access to abortion for a lot of women and um i think that there are some people in uh, unimaginable circumstances who might take real um uh, desperate measures uh, and that is not where we should be in 2016 it should be said, though, there are certain provisions where um, a woman can be granted an abortion over here. There are some abortions that are carried out on the Isle of Man. It's a, it's a handful um, and it's uh, for quite specific circumstances. There's a lot of hoops to jump through. So in terms of having to see two consultants, the, um, the waiting list for that means that in practice you can't have an abortion before a certain point in time or or at all um and so i think it's uh, the 1967 abortion act in the uk um would be more practical to apply here so we're talking about this open public meeting then that's being held um and the interesting thing is you're not just looking for people who totally support what you're doing you want to hear the opposing view as well yeah i think it's really important that um we have as many voices as possible so we um can come up with something that meets the island's needs and i think that being able to hear everybody's point of view uh, is really important we are the campaign for abortion law modernisation that that's our eventual aim but uh, it is really important that we um, keep an open mind about things and uh, really look at all the options that are possible so that meeting's happening this evening where Sam the meeting is this evening at 7 30 at the Manx Legion in Douglas and if people would like to find out more about calm I know there is a, a Facebook group it is a closed group I mean how can you go about getting more information supporting it if you want to I think the best way um, to get more information is to come along come along to our meeting and uh, you know be a voice and also hear what's going on there is the Facebook group which is a closed group so you'll have to ask to join and then one of the administrators will then accept you into the group women today sponsored by city wing for business trips or family breaks fly with citywing.com you are listening to Women Today. It's just coming up to quarter to three now. I'm joined in the studio by Amanda Kafira from Cruise Bereavement Isle of Man, the Reverend Daniel Richards from Kirk Braddon Church, and also from Judy Arnold today 
BEM, I should say, uh, who's a long-standing cruise volunteer. Thanks for joining us today in the studio. It's lovely to have you all you. with us. So, Amanda, what is Cruise for? So, Cruise Bereavement Care, Isle of Man, offers bereavement support to um, individuals, so adults or children, um, and that is to help people along their their grief. So, for for somebody who feels um, that they need that support, um, some people progress through um, without support, perhaps uh, family and friends, they find different outlets. Um, Cruise particularly if people feel that they're stuck and they can't function um, and then people can come to us and it's one-to-one support so it's a, a meeting with an, another like another person a bereavement volunteer and um, the kids side of things is similar it's one-to-one support we also have like a social group social events called they've actually named themselves cruise kids and we have an annual residential as well um, and that we usually have about 25 children attending that and the the support that we give starts from kind of very young age we've we've supported children from as young as two years two years of age up to kind of 18 and then obviously they would move into sort of the adult service after that it must be very difficult to know how to deal with a child of that age who is grieving judy you've you've been doing this for quite some time haven't you yes i have it it's it is quite a privilege actually to talk to little people and to respect them and to help them identify who they are and and just be with them and talk to them gently. And most of what we achieve is through play, uh, which is is wonderful because you can get the paints out and tell stories and and it, um, it works very well. So in times of grief, it is good to talk. Then you would uh, it's say. the best thing in the world to to be able to talk. What what happens sometimes is people run out of time to talk, and I think this is something that we must try and remember to give ourselves time, and that if a bereavement was years ago and it's come up again that you you're thinking about it, it's time to talk again. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that's why Cruz is here. Mm-hmm. We, we're here to listen. And obviously you're a volunteer yourself and Cruise is sort of bolstered by a lot of volunteers, isn't it? How many volunteers do you have, Amanda? Do you know? So we've got approximately 50 volunteers. Um, those that are active are probably around, probably close to like 35. But we're in the process of training a new kind of a group of volunteers. So that's going to hopefully give us another, um, say, 14 people that are going to be able to go out and support bereaved clients. And do you tend to find that it's people who have maybe been bereaved themselves? It varies. You do find that people come to to cruise. Perhaps they've used cruise service before. Um, they um, may have been through kind of that support and then decide that they want to help people themselves. But sometimes it can just be somebody who wants to come and develop that kind of skill set. Um, somebody who is an interest in counselling. So it varies. And Daniel, you're actually saying that you have been on a, a training course this weekend. Is that right for volunteers? I, I, I was providing um, for the course mm-hmm. um, in one of their modules, which was about uh, death in a changing society, and trying to get people to appreciate how much fear there is about talking around the issue. That people are often afraid to approach talking about end of life issues. So if you're trying to encourage people to look at a will when they've never made a will. Um, some some people think they're invincible and mm-hmm. they're often afraid of even having the conversations with their closest people, um, spouses, partners, children. Um, but I, I think as well it's helping people find a language where whatever is going on inside has an outlet of some kind and an outlet that is helpful 
Mm-hmm. For some people, they're very much afraid, as Judy said, to approach talking, and then it can just get bottled up for a very long time, and you might find that whatever is inside explodes and unhelpfully. Now, Lindsay, this is interesting because you were actually saying to me earlier that you went through um, a bereavement of a child, didn't you, some years ago? Mm. And you were very conscious yourself that there wasn't really anyone that you could speak to about it. No, no, it was dreadful. Um, at, at that time, I was living in Southport. I think I did the programme here a few months back when you were talking about stillbirth. And I got no help, no, no, I just got sent home um, mm. after a couple of days. And it was months later when I actually went to my doctor myself because I was just so um, down and crying. And, you know, nobody talked to me, nobody spoke to me. I don't even know where my child was buried. I wasn't given the child to hold. I wasn't given a chance to name him, nothing. Now, thankfully, that that sort of thing wouldn't happen today, would it, Amanda? I wouldn't have thought. I think certainly um, looking at what's been happening on the islands, um, you know, we work closely with um, Tabitha's Trust and um, Little Piece of Hope, Sleeping Angel Ward, and I think all those charities um, that, you know, their objective is to um, look after the needs of bereaved parents um, and crews obviously the emotional support so I think when you look at the work that the other charities are providing together with crews I would hope that 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 isn't going to happen in in this day Mm -hmm. it's sad that you you, people had to experience Mm -hmm. that and I think one of the things obviously we're talking about today is that there is going to be a, a memorial service held this weekend, um, which is obviously very important. Um, Daniel, it's being held at your church at Kirkbrad, and tell us a little bit about what that's going to entail. Well, the the central part of, of the service, if it can be called a service, it's more of an event, really. We don't want people thinking that it, it's it's religious, in a, because people are often afraid of approaching these circumstances because they may not have had any helpful experience from religious groups in the past so it's a way of providing a space for people to know that they they can honor that life in the same way that that you just shared for people who've never been able to name a child that they had who may have died through miscarriage or stillbirth we we were in that situation some of us ourselves and and so this is an opportunity to provide a name for that person Mm-hmm. who you recognise and who you want to be remembered for the rest of time. So the service itself um, incorporates poetry, um, and the, this is a variety of poetry, um, some of which which is quite raw, some of which, which is uh, very positive, but all of which is about being hopeful. Uh, there'll be opportunities to listen to music, some music that is well known to us, um, which gives us time to reflect. Then there will be a reading of names, so the names that we've been provided with by people who would like that name to be read aloud, that will happen as well. And anyone who is present can light a candle in memory, but also write in a book of memories that we have, which is always held at Cruz's office, where you can write anything that you want to about the, the child you remember. And we have to say that it it's, doesn't have to be anyone who is under the age of 18 it can be a child of of any time. My brother died last year and he was 42 and so my mum wants him remembered Mm. which is quite right and there are many adults who have died as well. When you were talking earlier about children and how children deal with death, when I was trying to break the news to my daughter I was the one who was very emotional, she was the one who was incredibly accepting 
and she just she just said to me, "It's very sad." Gave me the biggest hug I've had off her and said, oh. "Everything will be fine, Daddy." And she's only seven, oh, but children it. can deal with so many issues better than adults can. Mm. And I think that's why we try and provide this time so that adults <coughs> know that they can, in a safe space, remember those they love and perhaps do things that they've not been able to do before, which is name the ones that they love. Women Today, brought to you by CityWing.com, for your next flight away. Well, it was a very varied discussion. It was really, really interesting. I think I learned a lot. I think it was a shame, again, that it was sort of women outnumbered the guys in here. Um, So you didn't always get the other perspective accurately, I would say, you know, but certainly there was a very... A wide variety of views on a lot of subjects. It was really interesting. Anything you can take back to your male Timwood colleagues? I think there's a huge amount that we can learn. Um, I mean, I tend not to think of it, but obviously an awful lot of women do think about it and do care. Um, but as I said during the discussion that we had, what sort of heartened me a bit that since I've been leader, we have had more women coming forward to be both candidates in the by-elections and, and to stand at the local authority level um, so I think maybe it's because there aren't enough women in there that more women don't come forward maybe they they feel better if they're approaching a woman about it I don't know I'll have to ask the girls who joined us why they did won't I and find out what motivated them and had it still been a man at the helm would they have come forward do you know what I've learnt this evening, Kate, is never to play a board game against you. <laughs> oh, you're so right there. I can get incredibly competitive over Ludo. It's unbelievable. Hi, I'm Corrie Munch from All Mutual International. Hi, I'm Boreal Adley, a sixth form student at QE2 High School. Hi, I'm Deanna Make, and I'm also a sixth form student at QE2. First of all, we'll talk to you, uh, two students, only three weeks before the end of school. How are you feeling? Nervous. Uh, very nervous, yeah. scared a bit. <laughs> Tired at the same time, but... Really interesting discussion this evening about issues of gender parity and we sort of heard some of your views about how you, how you feel about it, how you feel about your futures. What do you take from this sort of discussion? Um, I found a lot more information about what actual people in the workplace that think about gender parity because obviously I've been in school a lot, I don't have many ex- much experience in a workplace so actually listening to a debate about people who are in a workplace and finance and things like that I thought it was really educational. It was pretty much the same. I didn't know too much about it until obviously I came here and started talking about it. But like it was very educational, and I know like think I'm thinking about my career options a bit more now. So yeah, it was really good to hear from what you two were saying. Is that you don't really seem to see any limits because you are young women. No, we don't. At school, we're like we're all treated pretty much equally. Like we yeah. get our own choices and what we choose to take as like, subjects yeah. and stuff. Teachers will help and guide both male and female students equally and as much as they can as well. Um, Corey, how did you feel listening to all this discussion this evening? Yeah, it was good to have a, a varied group. Um, from obviously there's a lot of others from All Mutual International, but also to have younger people and and to have the guys there as well. Obviously, it gave a balance to the discussion. Um, and it felt like it was a good 
debate about what the issues are and how cultural shifts are impacting on that and seeing the change, especially like with technology, making flexible working more achievable for women um, so that they can build that in with family life um, and as much for men as well to be able to build in with, with family life and looking at, we, we sort of discussed over cultural changes and in, even within Europe, you know, the Scandinavian countries that are looking at that kind of four-day week for family mem- people with families and stuff. It's, it's all quite interesting. You've got um, a six-year-old son. How much pressure do you feel in bringing him up in this environment to make him aware of these sort of things? Um, I think it's about just making him realise that the stereotypes that are maybe portrayed in the media isn't all there is for a boy to be. Um, I'm very fortunate in that my stepfather's a nurse um, and my father is a businessman. Um, Again, with my partner, his dad was, you know, high up within a corporate world and um, then he's got an uncle who's a stay-at-home dad. So he's got a real variety, I feel, of male influences in his life where he can see that actually a man can take on that caring role, but he can also... So if he wishes, take, hit that glass ceiling. As it happens, he wants to be a paleontologist. So, <laughs> and, and throughout this evening, we were hearing about uh, sort of working practices here at Old Mutual, and it seems to be largely positive here as well. Yeah, definitely. And that was a big thing. I only moved um, into the company 15 months ago, but looking at the benefits package, you know, it looked like it was very supportive of women um, taking time out if they choose to have another child, um, and also, you know, that family flexibility. I've never had an issue. You know, my son actually on Monday. I had to leave early to take him to the doctors and you know my manager was like you don't even need to tell me and you know it was just like you of course you go and that that family first aspect definitely comes through here. Now tributes have poured in today for Victoria Wood after her death was announced yesterday following a very brief battle with cancer at the age of just 62. The award-winning actress, writer, comedian and singer won the talent show New Faces in 1974 before going on to become one of the country's most loved comics. Friend and actress Sally Ann Triplett says it was her talent for observation that made her one of the greats. She just immersed herself in this world and and just looked around her. That's what everyone loves about what she stood for, was that it was just real life. She was just a genius at comedy and timing and and the truth. Her longtime comedy partner, Julie Walters, has today said she's heartbroken over the death of her friend. Following the news, devastated Julie said she was too heart-sore to comment and added the loss of her is incalculable. They worked together for nearly 40 years in their sketch show Wood and Walters. Victoria Wood has seen on TV and Dinner Ladies, of course, and Julie said she was always her friend's biggest fan. A much-loved comic, Victoria was certainly unique and was one of actually very few female comics at the time, which was a struggle for her. I didn't know whether I could make a career out of it. I mean, at university I was a real big flop and I always had this feeling there was something that I could do. I couldn't quite nail down what it was because there was no role model for me, really, as a woman singing. There was no, really nobody else doing that, so I was, I was very much blundering about in the dark. I'm not getting a bikini. Oh, Bren, it's the year of the midriff. We're going to Spain, man. Let's see that belly button. Ha, you'll be lucky. I haven't seen it since about 1972. <laughs> oh, sorry. I've caught this cold off Susan on smoked meats. <clears throat> well, they're not smoked when they come, but she's on 60 a day. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. I really want to ride to the rain. Let's go, because I know just how much you do
Thanks for listening to our best bits of the week. If you missed any of last week's programmes and would like to hear them in full, you can listen on demand at manxradio.com for seven days after broadcast. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at MR Women Today. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.